Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Crowcast Podcast. I'm Shane. Hey, I'm Ronnie. And these are the audio versions of the interviews we've had with our special guests on Crowcast. This episode is with Chris Barras. Oh, man, this was August the 4th. Um, for anybody keeping up or, or checking the scores or anything, episode 20 on YouTube. Um, yet again, a guy, I couldn't wait to chat to, the, to, to this dude, man. We've been following him for quite a while. Um, yeah. Respect the fact that he's a badass. Um, I think, ooh, who went to the fight with him? Was it Dave? Um, <laughs> oh, it something, yeah. I think it was like that. I can't, I can't remember. But yet again, anybody who wants to watch the visuals, um, you can have a look at episode 20. It's on YouTube. Um, and obviously, we have a little bit of banter after the guests. But back on track, this is the audible version. This is the interview with Chris Barras. Um, It was great to hear some of his stories of like being on the road and who he's played with, you know? Yeah, incredible musician. Like you said, he got the music stories, but there's lots of content. He, he talks about his fighting, his past fighting, and he's picked it back up again now with his fitness and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, get into shape again, and um, just a real insight, you know? He's a talented dude. Definitely, mate. Yet again, another guy who's kept himself so busy through this pandemic. Yeah. Um, a lot of respect for him, um, and looking forward to, to, to actually seeing and meeting him properly, like, you know? So... Uh, let's get into it. Here we go. Strap in. This is Crowcast Podcast. Should we bring on our special guest this week? Yes, excited about this. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mr. Chris Barras. Hello. There he is. There he is. How are you doing, man? How you doing, man? Not too bad. How are you? Yeah, it's not too bad, buddy. In the studio, there are you? Uh, it's my box room in my house. I've made, had a makeshift uh, studio that I've put together in lockdown to keep myself Love busy. It. Love it, mate. Yeah, I've seen you do a couple of sort of uh, live streams from there. Uh, yeah, well, I've done like little acoustic videos and that yeah. from here. The proper like live stream stuff we do from um, my keyboard player's studio because he's got a proper, proper studio. Yeah, I see that too. That's banging. Yeah, that's it's a cool funny. place. Yeah, man. Very cool. So how have we been, buddy? Yeah, not too bad. I think the first um, month or so of uh, lockdown, because obviously we've got a European tour cancelled in March. Yeah, That was tough the first month um but i think i've adjusted now just been working on songs and been back training and just trying to enjoy uh the time off the best we can yeah yeah so what new songs brand new songs yeah yeah working on loads of stuff been working um for the first time ever been working with some songwriters in the states um i've never done that before the label asked if i'd be up for it and i thought well i'll give it a go um, so I'm working with guys that write stuff with Blackstone Cherry, Shine Down, Hailstorm, those kind of guys. So uh, oh, wow, yeah, it's man. been really good. It's been an eye opener for me, and um, it's been a great help actually. I've really enjoyed it. So how does that, how does that work? Is it a case of you have an idea, you send it over, or and then they kind of yeah? Well, John, I've been part. working with um, three different guys, and everyone's kind of got a different method. So um, I've got one guy that I've done maybe like five or six tracks with now and we just send each other stuff so i'll be like oh, i've come up with this 
riff or got a chorus idea or whatever, I'll send it to him. He does the same to me. Sometimes he'll send me something. I'll be like, nah, I'm not feeling that. I send him somebody's He's like, nah, I'm not feeling that. And we just go back like that. And then we jump on a Skype call and start bashing it out. Um, I've had some of the guys that have like, oh, I've got this chorus that I've written. If you can write a verse and a riff to it, we've got a song, like that kind of thing. And then we jump on a call and go backwards and forwards. And yeah, it's it's weird, <laughs> but I'm kind of used to it now. Like with the with the Skype stuff, it's uh, or Zoom. Yeah, it, it works all right actually. Yeah, we we tried that, Chris, um, in the early stages of lockdown. I mean, you know, a lot of bands would have said, "Oh, well, there's nothing we can do." And the first thing we did was got on like this or or Skype or Zoom, and then we tried to do the the writing session. You're right. At first, it was just so so alien. I mean, the the problem I had was getting the the drums not to have any say latency or to get yeah. that vibe because like Shane can easily pick up a guitar, um, same as you would, and then I'll lock into a groove. And it can it can change a song when you're working with a drummer, for example, or vice versa. It was almost you're in that that riff or that piano part or something come over, and then working out how you're going to elevate it. And we were trying to do it as a as a full band, and it just started kind of wavering of um, who's doing what or where are we? What song are we working on? So yeah. I think we've got like we've got a few songs on the go, and but a, a lot of collective ideas that we haven't quite married up because only now we've kind of just got back into a room so we can start putting them together like puzzles like you know so yeah yeah i mean i can't imagine that must be hard trying to do it and like play together um i we're not really doing that i'm not doing that with these guys anyway um we've we've tried a few different there's like um there's a thing called audio movers because I've got everything set up here. Like this mic all runs through my logic and goes out for a virtual router and stuff like that. There's a thing called audio movers where you can connect your logic or your Pro Tools session to their logic or Pro Tools session. So we can actually record things and hear it pretty much in real time. Um, yeah. So that that was, yeah, that was pretty good. Um, for, I do that with one guy. I don't know. <laughs> I am sorry. That's amazing. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, audio, audio movers. movers. Yeah, it's I a cool thing. That, you just, um, you download, it's like a plugin that you download. It was free. Yeah. Um, I th- I'm not sure actually if the person that broadcasts it might have to pay, but it's not a lot of money. Maybe it's like to I, i'm not sure i think you buy like a seven day license for a couple of quid it's something like that um yes. but it's pretty clever you know um i did it with josiah who has been my producer he's also the keyboard player in the band um he was showing me some tips for recording and for mixing and he jumped on and could see absolutely everything i was doing in the recording session and just be like right change this change this don't do that and yeah it's, it's clever stuff but most of the guys, it's just um, I'll record down like little things, send them a, a MP3 file, and then yeah. they jot something down, and we just go backwards and forwards like that. It's quick enough. I think that's how we managed to get over it personally. Was because um, we tried something called Jam Jam Kazam. Oh my god, that was a catastrophe. It was genuinely <laughs> like it took longer to 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 work out the talk back through the app because it was like working in a studio. So we all had little screens exactly like we're looking at each other now. Um, but when you start recording, your video goes out to latency, didn't it, Shane? So you had a talk back. So you almost had to cancel your instrument, whether it was like I went through the V kit, cancel that, do the talk back mic. But by the time they would hear me, 
they're they're still playing on a guitar or this <laughs> it was just like yeah. this ain't working like so yeah it went back old school where like Shane started sending over or Dave was writing riffs um and they were sending over mp3s and then it was easier then for me to go on the kit put my bits to it and exactly like you said then weirdly talk to each other on the telly and kind of is everyone happy with it going our way or you know <laughs> it's yeah. a bizarre way like you know so so do you guys i mean do you guys live near each other or not are you are you just because yeah, yeah we, you, but you haven't got together yet we do but um we've only been able to get together for two weeks is it shane two and a half weeks now because there's different rules in wales right yeah man yeah yeah yeah, yeah so that's we what was, yeah because i watched you and like shane said we were watching you in the studio with your keyboard player and we were thinking can we go and do that can we but we had like a, a a rule where you could only go five miles um and then we right. started when we had the planet rock thing we started practicing up your way to go to stroud and bristol so we were we were going over the bridge because well, the rehearsal rooms have only now opened in Wales. Like, you know, that's how long. Uh, right. Yeah, yeah, man. Savage, like, you know. So we were just trying to work yeah. out ways to keep keep proactive because it's great doing this. I mean, you know, it's been great coming on every week and talking to people, but you genuinely want to keep your craft going and the songwriting or of course, yeah. that, that live jamming. Um, and that's what we even thought about hiring a residential studio and staying there for a month. I think that was like, <laughs> that was plan B or C. <laughs> I can't even remember well, what plan. I, I don't know. If, I'm not going to say his name because I'm not sure if he's come public with what he's been doing, but there's um, an artist who actually, at the start of lockdown, him and his band all moved in the same house together because they knew the lockdown was coming. So they formed that as their social bubble and they've actually recorded an album like that. Wow. I don't want to say who it is because I'm not sure if that's public knowledge. That came to me through someone else. So I don't want to say who it is. But um, yeah, I thought that was quite quite crafty. He formed a social bubble with his band. So they lived together from the start of the lockdown. That's true. And um, yeah, it set up a studio true. in the lounge yeah. and they just had a, a band house for... However fucking long it was, I don't know, six weeks wow. or Yeah, because it just keeps the wheels turning, as you know, and then you're, you're kind of ahead of the game then. So mm. when we all get the green light, then we're just fucking ready to rock and you've got your next album set up and everything. Did the yeah. did the lockdown affect your release? Because we came to watch you play in Cardiff in the tram shed and stuff, but did, okay. it really, did it really kind of affect it as in touring it or...? Well, I mean, my... Obviously, the Light Up album came out in September. Yeah. So we... I mean, other than so, we toured Europe and uh, the UK with that. Then we were due to go back out to Europe in March to do different cities because obviously, like Germany is such a huge country. We did, I can't remember how many dates we did last time, maybe like eight or something. But then we were going to do what they call the B cities. Um, and obviously that we got and Italy as well and Austria where we didn't go before that got cancelled so we've we lost that but luckily we got most out of that album because we did the big UK tour and we did uh, the main European tour um it's messed up things for the next album we had a plan in place which kind of hinged on the Blackstone Cherry tour yeah. um so we were supposed to be out with Blackstone Cherry this October um, which would have hopefully increased our fan base. And then we would have had another headline tour first half of next year with a new album. Um, I'm not sure if we're going to be touring or yet. It is penciled, um, but it's not confirmed. We're waiting on a few things behind the scenes. But um, 
yeah, the album's going to be pushed back. It would probably be towards the end of uh, next year now, um, which is actually fine. Like for, I was saying the other day, you know, all the, you know, shit aside, um, I think maybe I'll look back in a couple of years and um, maybe you guys will too, I don't know, and, and see it. Actually, it was probably a little bit of a blessing for me, like being able to have some time at home and write some songs. And, um, you know, it was like the worst ever thing you know, the, like I'm sure it was yeah. for you guys the first month. It was like, fuck, what am I going to do? Yeah. No money. Um, I lost several grand already just from that tour being cancelled from bookings, ferries, uh, advertising costs. I mean, you know what it goes like. Um, so, yeah, I was in like quite a bad place for about six weeks. And then I looked at it and I was like, well, actually, if I make the best of this, when else would I have had three months at home, four months at home where I can sit down and write songs. Because I'm always on the road. I do like fucking 150 shows a year. Do you know what I mean? I'm all over the place. Um, we've got the other band as well, Supersonic Blues Machine. So, um, yeah, for me, I think, you know, it's going to set me back a year on what the original plan was. But I think maybe in three years' time, I'll look back and go, that's probably the best thing that could have happened for my career because... I've spent so long now on the songs and really like honing a sound and stuff that I thought was good before and I was happy with to have for the album. I'm like, fuck, that's shit. I need to. Do that. <laughs> so it's actually been like, you know, obviously the COVID is not a blessing in <laughs> any way, shape, or form. But looking to the looking on the bright side of things, I think it it may be I may be able to spin it so it works out right for me in the end. I think it's similar, um, similar our side. We've said it on you the first few weeks i mean fuck me man we were up till like five in the morning he was pretty much counseling me most times saying you know everything's going to be cool and and then you find that downtime with your family for example which i've never had that kind of downtime ever uh to spend some time with the wife the kids and then that made me in a better place personally and then we've just got so much done lately haven't we shane like just more proactive just it's just almost like you can switch off all the bullshit and you can just go, right, wicked, this is what we've got now. Um, and for me yeah. personally, I think when we we do get like the full steam ahead and everything comes out of you, you're more you're more focused on what you need to do and and what you need to achieve. And and like you said, you've had that time to kind of work on your craft or um I mean, I haven't had the chance to sit on the drums for fucking days, just literally just playing what I want to play. That's that's a really cool place to be like you know so yeah, i think you've said the same i'm new shane with the writing on your side like yeah really difficult at the start because i wasn't you know it's acceptance isn't it i wasn't i wasn't ready to to work on new material because we just done that second album um but like you said you got to take a positive so the minute i got over that i think things and started relaxing and, and enjoying um time home um, did, did, did like all the ideas and, and uh, the creativity started again, but I, it was a little bit, not worried, but it just didn't feel natural. It didn't, it was all wrong. Um, but it's amazing how you can adapt really quickly. You know, it doesn't mm -hmm. take us long really to adapt to a situation. Um, no. so it was about, I think about three weeks for me where I was like, ah, oh, this sucks. And then at the time I got over that, I was, I was great then. And we were right in again now. And it's, it's really cool stuff. We're buzzing about it. We done the jam before um, Roxy Asylum for Planet Rock up in Birmingham, and we we had a, we had a new tune, just jammed it out there there and then, and we've got the the basics of, an, of another song like so. It's it's good. It was great jamming all that, wasn't it? It was amazing. Oh like, man, honestly, <laughs> yeah. I don't know what it was like for you, Chris, but yeah, getting together for us was like, oh fuck, it was just like wow. Yeah. 
Yeah. It was loud. Because <laughs> <laughs> everything yeah. controlled you, even for me. Like, it's electric drums or sending MP3s, like you said, mm-hmm. digitally. So to get back in that room and it was just thump and it was the, the boys' yeah. back line was cranked up. and yeah. oh, There's man. no better feeling. No. Oh, it's been brilliant. Like, absolutely. I find brilliant. the live stream stuff pretty hard, though. I mean, like, I love playing with the guys and stuff, but... Like just playing to cameras, and like you know, you finish a song yeah. and you're like, ah, oh, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't, I don't like it. I definitely don't like it. I look forward to uh, playing in front of crowds again. That's the only reason I do this. Like yeah. I had a great job before. I earned a fuck ton more money than I earn now. I had a good <laughs> life, um, and I chose to swap that for um, a music career because I love doing it. I love performing. I don't. You know, I like writing songs. I like doing that kind of stuff. But for me, it's like getting up there and and playing for the people and that energy in the room. You know, um, I, so I struggle a little bit, like just doing videos and live stream stuff. I just, if if that was the way it was, if it was said right, COVID wipes out the music industry for the next three four years, like I wouldn't do. It, I don't think. Yeah, I know you find it difficult. We yeah. did find it difficult, didn't we? That connection was missing. Um, yeah. It's just little fucking, it was little things, even like writing the set together. We had to change pretty much 70%, 80% of what we do because it's all live vibes or little jams yeah. or sing along. Yeah. yeah. Holding the mic out. Like... <laughs> <laughs> You've seen this before. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's all, it's all there. It's all like, you know, or even if we're just going to extend little music parts and even live, sometimes we don't know whether how many bars we're going to do it for. We just kind of feed off the crowd and you know how long you've gone on stage. Um, oh, I was fucking weird. Oh, yeah, you're right. Because you'd, you'd go up, dug it, dug it, dug it, bat, and then the band would end. Yeah, it's horrible. Just, yeah, it's horrible. As, especially as like a front man as well, like trying to think of like stuff to say. It's just like, because it's just no vibe. It's, it's weird. It's <laughs> it really weird. weird. It is, bro. We had a great response, though. Um, I saw the Planet Rock one had an amazing response, too. I think at first with the live stream stuff, I think there was a lot of people that were a bit, and rightly so, skeptical of it. Like, oh, how's that going to work? And when we did the bands one, I didn't want to do it as like a ticketed thing. I wanted it to be like a a thank you to the fans, that kind of thing. Like, just, you know, put it free on YouTube, free on... um, facebook live but like the donations were amazing like absolutely amazing um it, it was so good and i had so many like messages come through people like didn't think i'd enjoy it but we had it up on the tv we were up singing and dancing in the lounge we had a fucking great night yeah. um i had a lot of those like messages come through and um so yeah people people do appreciate it which does help afterwards but whilst yeah. you're doing it it's weird <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah, we had we were the same, but we had a lot of love. Um, and and people that were slating, like you said, first and just saying, "Oh, th- this isn't the way forward," and blah blah. I'm not into it. I won't be buying it. And then the next thing, the messages at the day afterwards, oh, I'm so glad I bought it. <laughs> they would have missed out. Um, obviously, like the live streaming for us went down on one song, one of our songs, "Blink of an Eye." Um, the whole thing went down, so people were thinking it was their sort of live stream, their internet connection, but it was everything went down. And then it kind of worked in our favor in a strange way because then Planet Rock put that up um, mm-hmm. on YouTube yeah. and then everyone got to see it. Um, and the love we had from that was, was immense. Like, But um, yeah, definitely different, strange times, but 
it's, it's all we got at the moment. So, um, you know, support it, everyone watching. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, this could be the future for the time being, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah. Not a great one. Not great. But anyway, but um, you, you touched on it slightly there. When um, you said you had a good job, are we talking about the MMA stuff or are we talking about? Yeah. 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 So, I mean, as a whole, like, um, you know, I didn't earn massive amounts from just the fighting, but um, so I was a part owner in two gyms. Um, oh. I used to do a lot of like, I used to train other people, like a lot of fighters and a lot of just general public, like personal training stuff. Yeah. Um, and I used to have uh, a fight promotion as well. I, um, I had one of the biggest, uh, fight show brands in the Southwest. It was called the Southwest wow. Fighting Championships, SWFC. And, um, yeah, yeah. So that was my kind of thing. I did actually have a um, an MMA clothing brand as well, Force Luta, and sponsored some like top UFC fighters and stuff like that. So, yeah, as a whole, like everything together, you know, was yeah, I had more money than I've got now. <laughs> <laughs> so when when did you make that decision? Then how how many years ago was that? Did you walk away from that and, and... two two years it was. So, um. So I started, I mean, I had my last fight pretty much coming up six years ago, like to the day. I had my last MMA fight, uh, August the 1st, 2014. Yeah. Um, and then that was in Singapore. Then I, I was based in Thailand. I went back to Thailand. I fought for a stadium title there. Hey, there it is. Pang from South Korea. He was a fucking hard bastard, he was. Motherfucker. Wow. Didn't speak a word of English, but um, yeah, he was hard. Fuck. Yeah. Bastard. (laughs) I lost. I lost a decision there. Oh, never. But um, yeah, is what it is. He was a tough guy. Um, uh, I I came out in the first round and um, I'd been training in Thailand a lot and Thai boxing was always my main thing, like the stand up stuff. And I'd come out. Well, anyway, that day, when we had like, you have like a rules meeting and stuff in the afternoon, just the refs brief everyone. And there was like, it was a massive production. It was like 8,000 people. It was a huge show, live show to like millions of people across Asia and TV and whatever. Um, and we did like this briefing because we had this big introduction and there was a live band and all this stuff. It was cool. Yeah. Anyway, one of the top fighters there is a guy called Miguel Torres. He fought in the UFC and, and stuff. And um, he was like, ah, oh, the floor's really slippy. Because in the States, they fight on canvas. Most of the shows in the UK are on like a vinyl. So that's what I was used to. And I remember thinking like, what's he on about? Like slippy. This is why I fucking train on this every day. Like, And I just thought he was being a bit of a diva. Anyway, so the fight starts. I come out. I'm feeling good. Um, and I kick him in his leg. And I noticed like, I kicked him in his leg and it's like his hand dropped. I mean, like, it's like textbook fucking schoolboy shit. You don't do that. And so I thought, oh, I'm going to do it again. Moved around. Bang. I kicked him again. And he goes like that. And I thought, fuck, like, I'm going to knock him out. I'm just going to kick him in his head. And like, it's going to be easy. I'm going to f- look, like, look at his legs. I'm just going to kick him in his head. So I go like this. I move. I look down. Leg goes up. And it's just like the top of its kick, my kick. And I just go, boom, fall on my back. And, um, well, anyway, he won the last fight by knocking out um, Singapore's top lightweight fighter who was on his back, tried to get back up. And he did like a flying knee and kneed him in his face. And he was giving me like space. And I was like, he's trying to fucking knee me in the head. So I was like, I'm just going to stay on the floor because if I get up, I'm going to 
eat one and you know you don't come back from that so i stayed on the floor he got on top i came close with some submissions but anyway long story short he smashed me with loads of elbows um and they were like hit me in the temple and they weren't hurting but everything started going like a little bit fuzzy mm. and i was thinking oh shit and then the second round i was still recovering and the third round i won like the when they read out the scorecards like um i think two of the judges scored it me winning the last round uh but it was two to one i lost the fight Long, that's got a long story to explain how I lost the no, fight. No, it's but... cool. It's really cool. <laughs> this is all stuff we've talked about that we wanted to have a beer with you. I mean, the plan was we were hoping to catch you this year anyway at some point, and then we were going to ask yeah. you after this, fucking hell, what was it like to be a fight there? What was, you know, what was yeah. the worst fight you had? Or, you know what I mean? So Yeah, like Ronnie had a fight with a Thai curry yesterday. Or the day before. <laughs> I lost that one, mate. I lost that one. Good God. KO round one. <laughs> oh, man. Good God. Still feeling it. Still feeling it. I forgot my original point was how I got started in the band. So yeah. I had that fight. I lost. I mean, my face was a bit swollen, but I didn't have any serious injuries. So I went back to Thailand and um, I wanted to fight again straight away. Like I was like, right, I want to get back in there. A couple of weeks. So I said to um, the gym boss, I was like, look, get me a fight. Um, I'll just do it in Phuket. Thai boxing. I, I want to do it. And I was like, I want to fight a Thai guy. <clears throat> I was like, I haven't fought a Thai before. I want to fight a Thai guy in Thailand. And I kind of had it in the back of my head, like, this will probably be my last fight. Um, anyway, so it was all set up. I was fighting this Thai guy. Um, it was going to be like the co-main event or whatever. I don't know. And um, the night before, I was sat um, in my room and I, I get a Facebook message come through one of my coaches one of my trainers, a Thai guy, very, very like broken English. Like how I think half of it was in Thai, half was in English. And um, he was like, you not fight Thai. I was like, oh, fuck. I was like, what do you mean? Is he pulled out? And he's like, no, you, you win, you win belt. And I was like, what? And he's like, you fight for belt, you win, you champion. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck is going on? I couldn't get anything out of him. So then the next day, um, and because they're so laid back in Thailand as well, like, and fighting's nothing to them. Like, to me, it's like, I'm fighting in Thailand. Um, and he's just like, oh, yeah, don't worry about it. So, what had happened is the main event, um, there's this Russian champion. He, his opponent had pulled out. And so, the, my trainer had gone, Chris will fight him. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't consult me. So, anyway, I had no idea who I was fighting. I turned up at the stadium <clears throat> and all the uh, fight cards and stuff are all in Thai. And I, I could speak like very, very little, little bit of Thai. Very, very small. Uh, Nitnoi, as they'll say. Um, but I can't read it. Like I did, I never learned how to read. So I, I didn't know what was going on. And I, I asked my trainer, I was like, who am I fighting? Like I knew nothing about it. And he just looked around and there was someone that was like fairly big. Because obviously in Thailand, they're all like pretty small. So I'm one of the bigger like guys, even though I'm only like... Uh, I was fighting at 72 kilos, 72.5 kilos. Um, and he was like, uh, I don't know, maybe him. And <laughs> just pointed some random bloke. <laughs> so I had no idea. But anyway, you all warm up and get ready in one area. So um, you're, you're all in the same room. It's like when you fight over here or on bigger shows, you've got separate changing rooms. You're not like in with your opponent. So I'm there like trying to like warm up. You don't do much in Thailand. They rub you down in this like liniment oil. They wrap your hands and do a little bit of shadow boxing. That's like, right, off you go. You're getting in. So we were obviously the main event, the last, the last fight. And um, 
I could just see like the fighters going out one by one, and it was, it was like you know less and less people in the in the dressing rooms, and then I could work out who it was. And this like tall guy was like staring over at me, and I was like, oh, "All right, I'm fighting him." Um, yeah, <laughs> and then uh, he, it was good. It was like in Thailand. Uh, with proper Thai score, it's weird. It's not like boxing, how they score it, or MMA. They score the fight as a whole. So even though it's over five rounds, it's not like, oh, you won three rounds, you won two. It's who finishes the strongest. So you can get beat up in rounds one, two, and three, but if you have a really strong four and five, you'll win the fight. Yeah. Because they yeah. say it's like, it's like if it was a street fight. If you had a fight with someone and you kick the fuck out of them for two minutes, but then they get back up and they absolutely hammer you, it's like there's, and then you stop. You're the last guy's the one that's seen to win, right? Mm. So it's like the same kind of thing. Um, so we, we had a really nice first round, and I was just like, I was really enjoying it actually. It was just a really nice fight. He was quite technical, and um, it was really good. I was really chilled, super relaxed. I was like, yeah, loving this. Um, second round, and he just go, bop, caught me with an elbow when I, I just wasn't expecting it. And you see on the DVD, it's not on YouTube, this bit. There's <laughs> only highlights on YouTube where I'm smashing his head in. <laughs> but you see, you see, I fall like a fucking tree, like boom. If it was in the, I've never been dropped. I like 20 fights, never ever dropped. Um, he hit me and it switched off the lights. If it was in the UK, it would have been a knockout. I'd have lost. Um, and I fell. But as I fell, my head hit off the canvas. That must have woke me back up. So I got like that. He has to get into a neutral corner. The person who does a knockdown has to go to a neutral corner. They can't go to their own corner, so they're not getting advice, basically. He's like walking around thinking he's won the fight. The ref starts shouting to him, get in your corner. So he's got his back to me. He doesn't see me try to stand up and I just fall into the ropes like that. The ropes bounce me back up as he turns around and he's like, you're okay to fight. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Stagger forward. And I just go apeshit. I'm just fucking swinging. And then I managed to elbow him. I don't even see on the camp. You see that little scar? Yeah. 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 I had, I, I split my elbow open on his eyebrow. I had to have three stitches, but he had to have 10. And um, I just kept hitting it and hitting it, elbowing, hitting it, kneeing him. Um, and then round four, the, the doctor stopped the fight and I won. And I won a stadium title in Piquet. And then I was fucking. like, it ain't going to get any better than that. Um, I'm happy just going back earning some money, becoming an adult, buying a house and doing all that stuff. Um, but then what happened? This is a really long-winded story. Hopefully I'm not fucking boring everyone. You're getting it in depth. Uh, you're getting it pretty in depth here. Yeah. Um, I don't think I've ever spoke about this stuff in interviews anyway. So. Um, it's exclusive shit. Uh, so so then I, I go back and I'm training fighters and things like that, which I love. Um but I kind of just had like something missing, you know, like I just, I wasn't training for fights. I had some injuries. That elbow has just been playing me up ever since. I've got some floaty bits in it. I think I just need to have surgery and have like the elbow cleaned out. I think there's some chipped bone in there. I can like move shit around. Um, so I struggle with that a little bit, even like when I'm training now after session this morning, it's, it's pretty sore. Um, so yeah, I was just like, I'm not going to fight again. I've kind of done what I wanted to do. I had my first fight when I was like 19, you know, did it like 10 years. But then I found like I needed something. And just yeah. one day um, I just picked up my guitar because I was still playing. Like I was playing in like cover bands and wedding bands for years, you know, just doing shit. Um, but I just started writing some songs. Um, and then I just wanted just to do just an original band, do a few gigs, nothing 
spectacular. My dream was just to be able to play it just like a little blues festival, play to a hundred people. And I was like, I'm happy with that. That's all I ever wanted to do. Um, and they just spiraled from there really. So that was like 2015. Um, and then I got signed to Mascot in the end end of 2017. Wow. Um, so that's when things started like really snowballing. Um, and it just I got busier and busier. And my commitment to the gym and my students, you know, it was waning because I was spending so much time with the band. I was away all the time. And then even when I was at the gym, my mind was on band stuff. Because you know what it's like, like stuff just comes in all the time and you're having to yeah. deal with shit and it's stuff you yeah. got to deal with straight away. Yeah. Um, so I'd get an email from my manager, you know, and I, but I've, I'm supposed to be in the gym for like six hours training people. And it's like, Oh God, sorry, I've got to answer this email. He needs an answer in five minutes. Do you know what I mean? And it was just, it became too much. And I spoke with my business partner. I was like, look, it's time for me to step, step away. And it was just at the time I got the gig with um, supersonic blues machine. Um, and that, that gig, like pays very very well uh when we tour so i was like this is the perfect time if ever i'm gonna switch you know i had like a 10 date tour with them um and it was pretty good money and it meant that i could um afford to give up the gym and go full-time you know with my with music because at that time my band you know i was still like growing you know it's like you'd be there it is <laughs> there he is Incredible. Yeah, you know, it's like when you're up around, you start getting to like 200 capacity places, you're still proving yourself. And a lot yeah. of, you know, the fees you agreed, your management agreed or whatever, or the promoters agreed to pay you, you know, it's still, well, it was for me, like a couple hundred quid, 300 quid, you know, it just wasn't much until I got through that barrier. And then we yeah. say, right, okay, now I'm not playing unless you pay me this because I know I will sell 500 tickets. So, yeah you know i'm not going to be going out for 250 quid and losing hundreds every gig like i used to you know yeah yeah, so yeah it's a really short time though so like you bowled over surprised about successful you've been in that short period like <laughs> yeah i suppose so um it's hard don't it it's like uh yeah yeah i mean i'm amazed this is fantastic i think when you you kind of get caught up in it don't you and i'm always like thinking about the future and i'm always working yeah. to the next thing not that i take it for granted i definitely don't because i had a little bit of success when i was younger i was like eight, 17 18 and i toured the states a couple of times i had this manager guy that got involved put a bunch of money into us and I honestly believed I was going to be, be a rock star. Like, I honestly believed it. I had everyone around me saying, oh, you're amazing. You're going to be a rock star. You know, record an album in Philadelphia. And I toured the East Coast of the States twice. Um, and I honestly thought I was going to be a rock star because everyone was saying it. And then, uh, and I was not good enough. The songs are fucking horrific. It just wasn't good enough. I was good live because I could shred it up and, yeah. you know. But um, that's not enough. Uh, and it all fell flat on its face. And... I, you know, I always had this thing all the way through like my fight career, you know, I always, always wished I could have got to do music as a career and got to tour and do shows. That was always my dream, but I just didn't know how to go about it. I didn't, you know, I couldn't get the opportunities and, and whatever. So when I set up this, I was like, right, no, like massive goals. I just wanted to do my own album, which I recorded. And I had a little, I used to have a little studio where I used to teach couple of days a week guitar and stuff and i recorded uh lucky 13 in in that album that was my first full-length album uh, in that studio um and then 
Yeah, yeah, it just spiraled. I mean, it was, yeah, I mean, it's, it's amazing. Um, I think you get a lot of, I don't know if you guys have or not, but um, I kind of thought in my naivety, like as soon as you sign to a record label and stuff, like everything's fine, like everything gets taken care of, you know, but like there's just not enough money in the industry anymore. It's not like it used to be. So there's been a lot of realization for me as I've kind of gone up the ladder, you know, I get to the next step and I'm like, yeah, but once I get to that step, everything be okay. And it's like, it's still, <laughs> you're still like struggling. I'm only just now, I'd say, at a stage where it's like, right, I can afford to tour. I'm not going to lose money. Because obviously I've got to pay everyone. I've got to pay the band. And, you know, as we upped the production, we're taking our own front house engineer. And, you know, I took the backing singers. And um, obviously I have to cover the cost of, of everything. You know, it's it's the band is, I'm the only one that's signed. It's, it's Chris Barris. So it's obviously Chris Barris' band and, you know, they're my boys or whatever. But, um yeah, they're basically hired guys. They're more than that, but that's, you know. Yeah. So it's yeah. kind of a it's a different situation, I suppose. Yeah. But it's how I always wanted it to be from the start, because I've done bands before and I didn't want um I didn't want to be reliant on anyone else. I didn't because I I hate that feeling of like when I'm doing all the work and I'm putting all the money in and no one else is. And then you get bitterness and so I was like, well, I'm gonna be responsible for this. If it, if it falls flat on its face, it's no one's fault other than mine. And yeah. that's just the way I I saw it. I was like, you know, yeah, yeah, man, that's that's wicked. I'm 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 a bit like that. Um, but when was the first time, Chris? I always ask this question to the the guests that come on. When was the first time you, you um, saw a guitar player, a singer, a band that made you think, "Wow, that's just changed everything"? Your perception on how you know you said people had saying you can want to be a rock star and stuff. Um, when when was that moment, that poignant moment where you looked at someone and gone, "I want to do that." Yeah. Well, I mean, I started playing guitar when I was like five years old, five, six, because um, my dad played, he played in bands and stuff. Um, and he was a huge Thunder fan. Um, and he took me to see Thunder when I was like nine or 10. Yeah. Um, they came to Torquay, uh, you know, not many bands. They used to come to Torquay all the time in the 70s, bands did, big bands. But since the 70s, like not many bands come to Torquay. It's not a place that features on tour routes um but thunder came down and my dad took me down and i think i was the only kid there um and i absolutely loved it and you know i knew all their songs already because we always used to listen to thunder tape in in his car um and i just had the best night and that was it that was that yeah. was the moment that i always knew that's what i wanted to do wow man and then so what, what do you do, do you just go on yeah, your, your, your college bands and stuff as well then, was it like in school or? Yeah, I mean, I always had bands uh, all the way through school. I mean, from when I got to secondary school in year seven, I made a friend with a drummer straight away and then we got different people involved. I ended up teaching one of my friends how to play bass so that we could have a bass player. And yeah, I had lots of different bands. Um, I had a, a metal band, so I was like 15. We used to uh, play at like youth clubs and stuff like that. And uh we it was right in the height of all like the when new metal was coming out, you know. So we used to have we used to have a rapper shouter, and we used to have a singer. <laughs> and I, I was just on guitar. I didn't sing then. Um, so <laughs> yeah, we used to do like we used to do, we used to do some of our own stuff, and then we used to do covers. We used to do Slipknot. We used to do uh, Machine Head, Deftones. Yeah. Um, Limp Biscuit. <laughs> Limp Biscuit. Yes, yeah, it's, it's similar to when we were in school. It'd be all um, like Metallica for, for for whom the bell tolls, 
um <laughs> then it then it evolved into like um like you said slipknots and um and rap you could see when new metal it like bridgend in in south wales because basically everybody turned into fred durst yeah. <laughs> um, and bands bands became from like the grunge three they'd be you know like late 90s when it was always like three or four in a band at the most but then when fred durst and like yeah. slipknot hit is like how many people can you have on a stage <laughs> <laughs> yeah just give your mate some sticks and just tell him to whack shit yeah mm. <laughs> uh, so when did you know you had a voice bud uh i still don't think i found my voice yet i still don't count myself as a singer but um uh the first time was i was setting up a band when i was about 15 16 it was after this metal band i i've always listened to quite an eclectic mix i suppose um i was really into like punky stuff and like ska punk stuff you know like uh less than jake real big fish yeah. goldfinger yeah. that kind of stuff um and i was writing some of those kind of things and i just sang some things on demo i used to have this little um four track tape thing and i made some demos to give to a couple of guys musicians in the school that i thought might be interested and i was singing on it and um i wanted to find a singer but then a couple of the guys i played it to were like well actually your voice is quite good why don't you sing it and i was like oh no and then a couple more people said it and i thought all right i'll give it a go and then you know, it's like anything, the more you practice, you get better. And I did that. And um, I did drama at school. I did like drama A-level. Um, and I got the... Now, this is, this is another exclusive. You're getting a lot of fucking exclusives yeah. tonight. <laughs> this yeah, is yeah, yeah. this is an embarrassing exclusive. This isn't me talking about fucking cool fights in Thailand. Uh, <laughs> I got the lead role as uh, Tony in West Side Story. Um, and I did, I did that. I used to be into like uh, drama and stuff. Not like a full-on drama geek, like, but <laughs> I did drama A level, and yeah, I got the role of Tony in West Side Story, and I had to fucking murder Maria. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ! I'd gone from like not singing to singing like punk music to yeah. trying to sing Maria in falsetto, like horrible, <laughs> absolutely Incredible. horrible. So, that's uh, amazing, bro, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> we used to do all that like the the bugsy malones and calamity calamity jane i think it was like the shows in like school into college um but yeah that's that's a brilliant exclusive that is mate yeah fucking hell. Thank you, well, no no one's gonna wind you up because you're just gonna knee him in the fucking head that's that's the thing isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but use the good elbow so uh, how come the crossover into MMA then? Because if you were like this, you know, I can see you now. You're in the metal bands and stuff like that. What, what, what drew you into that? Were you young doing that, or was it you just joined your local gym? Or yeah, so I, I did um, like karate and stuff like that, mm-hmm. pretty much as long as I did uh, guitar. I was always into martial arts. I loved Bruce Lee films, Jean-Claude Van Damme. Kickboxer was always my favorite film. Yes, um, and so I, I, just, I did that like all my childhood into my teens. Kind of stopped when I was about 15 or so. Just couldn't be bothered anymore. You know, it normally happens around that age. Yeah. Um, and when I was like 18... I was um, doing a lot of music stuff, like a lot. Um, I sort of had that 
the, the stuff in the States and I was doing a lot of educational stuff. I was, I ended up working for a couple of companies and uh, writing, co-writing like some books, um, did like a DVD thing. Um, and it really took over my life. I was like proper into like shred guitar stuff. I was much better than I am now at any of that kind of stuff. Um, I just lived and breathed it. I was a proper like shred machine. And I was I was starting to get like a name in that scene and the educational stuff that came with that. But I just had so much um, music stuff going on. I was just super unhealthy. I was drinking every night. Um, I had a little studio that was behind a McDonald's. And I used to eat McDonald's three times a day. Like I'd get I'd get my uh, sausage egg McMuffin, two hash browns, orange juice, and a cup of tea. Uh, on my way to the studio, lunch I'd go up and I'd just end up having like free burgers and chips and I, and I was just I felt disgusting. I just felt absolutely awful. And I was like, I'd always wanted to try Thai boxing, Muay Thai, for, after seeing the film Kickboxer. And one of my guitar students did Thai boxing. He told me about this gym, and I was like, right. Um, I'm going to go. And I, I, he gave me the instructor's name. And because of my, I was teaching a lot of guitar, which is always like evening slots. So I couldn't go to the classes. So I started doing some one-to-one sessions um, and I loved it. And uh, I was, I never planned to fight. It was just to get fit, to try and give me something else. So I was getting too absorbed with like music stuff and um, I was getting myself down and, and just getting bad habits. And um I completely changed my life. I, I started dieting. I, I went really extreme, actually. I like cut out sugar and, and lots of stuff. Like I'd always have sugar in my tea. And then I like cut that all out and I was eating healthily. And then um, I got the opportunity to um, do a, like a, a fight. And um, the coach thought I was good enough. And I was... I never really considered it before. I got off it and I was like, yeah, okay. I did it uh, and I won. I, I stopped the guy in the second round. Um, and then I got off to another one and did it. I knocked the guy out at the end of the first round, a head kick. And then I got off to another one. This is all like in the space, like six months. Uh, I fought a guy from Ireland and he'd had a lot more fights than me. Um, and... I stopped him at the end of the first round, I think it was. I dislocated his knee. I kept kicking his leg. Um, yeah, and he was like holding his – you block with your shin in Thai boxing because you yeah, put yeah. your arm down and your arm just break. Um, so, yeah, he was like holding up. I just kept booting it and booting it and booting it. My shin was like black. Um, but, yeah, I dislocated his knee and he couldn't continue. So I had – I had like success like that. Then music stuff was just getting like shitter and shitter. I wasn't getting anywhere. I live in such a crap part of the country for it. Internet wasn't, re- I mean, it was a thing obviously, but you know, I don't even think YouTube was out yet at that point. I don't know. Maybe it was just coming out. Um, social media was like MySpace. Yeah. That was probably it. Um, you know, didn't know how to do it. You know, the whole story was we have to move to london if you want to make it as a musician you've got to move to london and i was like well i don't want to move to london i can't afford to what am i going to do you know yeah. and music weren't working i just got more and more opportunities with the fighting and just rolled with that um and yeah and i spent a lot of time in las vegas training up there so that was actually i've skipped a bit so that was tie boxing and um then the ufc was getting like bigger and bigger mm-hmm. mma and stuff like that and um I started training in it 
And I remember having the conversation with my dad, actually. He was like, oh, you're mental. I was like, no, 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 I'll never, ever fight MMA. Like, I won't. I'm just going to train it because it's fun and, like, it's cool. It's really interesting. There's so much to learn. Um, and then about six months later, I ended up putting my name down for a fight. <laughs> and uh, I lost I lost my very first MMA fight, actually. Um, I was unprepared. I was unprepared. Like, just, I was a good stand-up fighter. I was okay on the ground, but actually, like, putting it all together and, all, like, the rest and stuff in between, I just, I wasn't prepared and I lost. I got choked in the second round. But then I, that was a semi-professional uh, bout. Um, and then I fought him uh, in both our professional debuts. It was on Sky Sports. It was hosted by Dane Bowers. Um, and I, yeah, I beat him in the uh, first round. Yeah, because yeah. it's incredible how that sport is. Because um, I remember it back in the day. I used to wear a lot of tap out stuff, um, <laughs> like the old school tap, tap out, out wanker. What? Yeah, I was a I was a proper commercial fucking. You'd seen it all with all the the skulls on it and the and everything. <laughs> affliction. Oh, cool as fuck. And then you started watching it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Affliction. Yeah, man. Um, and then you started kind of watching it, and there was this old school vibe to it. And obviously now I still watch it, and I tune in and out out of it now, and it's changed so much. Like you can see the the money's gone bigger. The the events are massive. Do you know what I mean? It's just such yeah. a different different beast. You. Do you get tempted to kind of go back into it or is it never, you know, I, I think I seen you say a post the other day saying never say never. Um, <laughs> is it yeah. always well, the back I, of the mind? Could I have one more fight or, you know? Go on, Chris. Maybe sure. three out of three, but another exclusive. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't, uh, I don't know. I mean, I've been back, um, I've been back training for the past four or five weeks. I've been doing six days a week. Yeah. Um, Every day, every morning, go down. There's me and a couple of lads, and they're really good. They're like 22, 23 years old. Uh, you know, I'm 35 in in a month, and um, there's a lot of miles on the clock. So I, I don't know. I'm not sure I could. I don't think I could fight at the level I was at before. I don't think I'd be good enough. I mean, um, I've lost a lot. My stand-up stuff is still good, but like the sensitivity of like the wrestling to the grappling, like yeah. the game, you know, the changing yeah. the levels. And I just, i got so many injuries. I'm so stiff, um, my back, my hips and stuff. I'm just not sure I could ever be, um, good again. I don't know. But like I said, never say never. I mean, if, if this COVID we, you know, we don't know how long it's going to wipe out live gigs for, if it's gone for, um, you know, I don't think it will, but let's say it was wiped out for a couple of years then I definitely wouldn't rule out just going over to Thailand and having a fight. Yeah, yeah well, it'd be a fan base because there's a lot of rock, uh, especially rock fans who love uh, martial arts or MMA or, or anything like that, like, you know, so it's definitely yeah. a, a bigger fan base now, see, for when you when you were doing it before as well because the internet's just gone bigger again, so everything's a bit more accessible. And Yeah, um, definitely. But I said to Shane before you came on there, I, find, I love the fact that you did that and you did the music. Um, do you find that they both kind of coincide with the discipline? Because um, I, I watch what you do with your music career and you can see you're always you're always on the go. You're always thinking of something. Is that like the, the, the almost like the training with fights and stuff? You're very disciplined. You're very structured. You're very focused on what, what your goals are and you need to work through them. And does that help yeah. a lot? Is yeah, definitely. Um, you you have to have like um, 
tough skin and a strong mindset to succeed in in either industry um uh yeah it's yeah it's I, I definitely think just the discipline the planning the dedication it all it all helps it all helps for sure um the mental toughness you know is, is a big thing um i i think the music industry is is harder than the mma industry like yeah you know the music industry is weird man like it's just weird i keep saying um that you know because you're, you're it's not you're not even on an apprentice <laughs> fucking wage half of the time they don't no. a lot of people don't realize that which is the it's the horrible truth that you don't want to, to share with the fans which i'm really glad now a lot of musicians no matter what level are starting to tell the truth of you genuinely, you start your career on nothing and everything costs you something. Like you said earlier, everything costs and there's nothing coming, nothing coming back at you. And it's only when yeah. you do turn that seats, like you said, those tickets into the 400, 500 plus that you start being able to pay for things. But then when you are filling 500 or a thousand venues, you technically need to be up in your production. So it's a, it's a catch 22. It's always, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. Know, it's um yeah yeah i mean i i think i would just come through like the barrier i think like it's just like the the offers were getting on the next tour you know financially it, it's very very good i definitely can't complain and then all the covid stuff hit and it's like oh fuck's yeah. sake but um yeah definitely people don't realize i get like i've been very vocal about it, actually and a lot of my um i'm completely honest um i, I don't lie to people if people you know I get people saying, oh, we saw you when you were playing to 100 people come back to this venue. And I'm like, no, because when you may have had a great night, I was like, but that gig cost me £600 to do. Yeah. What you're asking me to do is to pay, and it's more now because everyone's on more money as we've got bigger. You're asking me to spend a £1,000 of my own money, which I don't have, to come and entertain you for a couple hours. Like, as much as I love entertaining you, like, there has to be a line somewhere. Um, and I was happy doing that for the first few years, but like now you know and a lot of people don't understand that you know if it's i mean it's basic maths to me you see there's 100 people in a room and you've all paid eight pound a ticket um you know there's not going to be a huge amount of money rolling around is there you know um i know a lot of people don't like to think about the money side of things you know not everyone does but um when you're running a band yeah it's hard it's hard yeah man. it's the main factor isn't it i think for a grown band Oh, de definitely. And I'm, I'm, I mean, we're getting to the stage as well where we've had to, you're taking on a, like you said, a sound engineer or a, a tour manager to make life easier because obviously you can do press and all the other jobs that come with it. Um, and they all cost. So you're, you're, you're right there. So you need to get to that next level to start paying them. And then when you're paying them, you need to get to the level above then to start yep. paying for everything else that you've got coming up or European tours or flights and et cetera. And everything starts racking up. Like, but there's nothing, there's nothing more rewarding when you do get to that 500 or a thousand and they're singing the songs back. And was that a real, Oh yeah. A real yeah. moment I mean, like, for you? Sorry. Was that a real moment for you? Obviously when you said you just, Oh went yeah. There. I mean, it's amazing. Like the, our last tour, um, you know, so many of the venues were like sold out, you know, like five, 600 people. Um, and I remember when that tour got booked, I was like, these venues are too big. This is a step too far. It's like, this is, I didn't want to do it. I was like, we need to like be realistic here. We've just done 
three UK tours in the space of 18 months. We're doing another one and you're doubling our venue size. I was like, this is risky. Um, but everyone from the label to the management promoters wanted to do it. I was the only one that didn't. Um, and luckily, <laughs> it works out good. I don't want to play to empty rooms. Do you know what I mean? Like I said, like we talk about all the money stuff. That's just being honest and being frank. But like you said, at the end of the day, like I was happy and more prepared to do that for the love of playing. But yeah. I can't do that forever. You know, I mean, I when I, I've said this on, on record several times. Um, I got friends that do motocross. Motocross costs them 10 grand a year, track fees, repairing the bike, travel, trailers, and all this shit and stuff goes wrong. They spend like 10 grand a year doing fucking motocross. I'm like, well, I love playing music to people. So when I set the band, I was like, I'm going to do this. And if, you know, I was earning decent money, I was like, if I have to invest 10,000 pounds a year to be able to do what I want to do and as a hobby, that's what I'm going to do. Obviously, it got more serious and I was so busy that it no longer was a hobby. It was taking up all of my time and therefore had to be financially viable because I had no other income source. Um, that's kind of like when it changed for me. But I was more than prepared to, um, you know, to be running at a loss um, as it was my hobby and I loved doing it. That was how I saw it. That's how I viewed it from the start. Um, yeah. Yeah, man. Um, talking about guitars now, obviously you're an incredible guitar player, bud. Um, we've seen you a couple of times, been on the same build, on share the same stage and stuff. And um, I know our guitarist Dave is a big fan of yours as well. Oh. Um, but it's like when we talk about guitarists, myself and Dave love love guitarists who just got feel. It ain't about just going a hundred mile an hour as quick as you can for us. Um, respect that completely, but. As a musician, I have huge respect in someone who plays like you. Um, and there's another uh, uh, fella called uh, Chris Buck, um, a fellow Welshman. He's incredible too. Um, who influenced you as a guitar player? It, who, who did you kind of look at and think, you know, what ticks um, speak? My first favorite one was Gary Moore. Yeah. Um, I like just love everything about his passion his playing and um yeah i just love it he he's got like a great balance between um the feel and the passion and the the energy um and whilst there's guys that are like you said like much more um technical mm. um than him but like that passion like when yeah. he hits a note and you're like fuck yeah uh, that that was amazing that was something that i always will strive to try to achieve yeah man you make a guitar sing fair play it's almost like a vocalist <laughs> you do bro it's um <laughs> and I, i'm i'm i love melody so anybody that picks up an instrument and, and literally makes it sing it's like um we saw you at planet rocks uh rock stock and um i think you've done a song written for your dad if, if i'm not mistaken is that right that's um, right yeah and you just picked up a guitar and i just felt everything in that in that you know, I'm a vocalist, um, and I was watching you sing, but it wasn't until you played the guitar in that in that few bars, I was like, whoa, that's when it really hit me, that emotion. Um, so as you said, I can, I can hear that passion in your playing. Like, Yeah, well, thank you very much. Um, obviously, that song uh, means a lot to me. It was written yeah. about my dad who, who passed away. He was only like 54 years old, mm. um, died of cancer, and... Um, he only found out he 
found out he had uh, kidney cancer like really late on and died like six weeks after first being diagnosed. It was really like quick and really sudden. And he was still playing in, in the band to me. He was, he was my bass player. <laughs> wow. So like in my cover band, I hadn't started writing songs. He died in um, 2012. So um, yeah. Yeah. It was uh, when I set up the band, um, like, he was always like super proud of like my fight career. Both of my parents were like really supportive, but he always had a thing where it always be like, Oh, you know, after we'd have a really good gig or something, only a fucking pub gig or whatever, but we'd, you know, it'd be a good night and it'd be like, oh man, like you should be doing this. Like mm. you should be out there. Like, you know, people should hear you play. And um, I was sort of like, ah, oh, whatever, you know. Um, so when I like set up the band, um, that was the s- first slash second song I wrote. Um, because the bands and the music for me was kind of felt when I first started up almost like a tribute to him. Like mm-hmm. I always had the words that like he was saying to me. And so it was still fairly fresh. It was only two years after. Um, and yeah, I, you know, I, when I set up the band, I kind of wanted it initially to kind of be like a, a tribute to him, you know, the whole music theme. Cause that's what he always wanted me to do. And I was in a position where um, I could give it a go. And yeah. So the, the the route you went down is that bluesy sort of rock. Is was he, that something you kind of your dad loved? Is that was that a natural progression yeah. in that in that way you were writing and stuff, or was it a case of did you make a conscious decision, or was just this stuff came out of you and that's what it was? It is what it is. Yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, in my cover band, um, uh. I had like different like lineups. It would like change whatever. And and one night I had um, a guy that I'd known for years. He was depping on drums and he's a big like guitar fan as well. He plays guitar very well. Um, And he was a big like blues fan. And my best mate, Ricky was on bass um, and he loves like, blues and and stuff like that. And I love all that stuff. And we, we had this gig one night and we'd actually um well, me and ricky had had quite a few beers in the day and um we had this gig at night in like a local pub music venue it's like the most like popular pub for live music around um and i was like do you know what tonight because i didn't really give a fuck i was like let's just wing it i was like let's just do a full-on blue set let's just have fun and i was like we're gonna do stevie ray vaughan we're doing gary moore and because we all had like vibed off that kind of stuff we grew up yeah. on it um was the other guys that would play in the band like usually not all of them were they you know some of them were like jazz guys that played like rock and like that stuff and some you know other things that they were into but like all three of us kind of just connected on it and um john we just had such a wicked night we had a really good time and um that was the first lineup of the chris barris band it was actually called the chris barris trio it was their idea to call the band that i started writing the songs and um john the drummer was like uh, John Perrin, he was like, just call it your name, like Chris Barris. Like, you know, you've got Joe Bonamassa, you've got Gary Moore, Kenny Wayne Shepherd, Steve Ray Vaughan, Chris Barris. <laughs> I'm not putting my name in the level with them just for the fucking record. I'm, I know I'm nowhere and never will be anywhere near any of those guys. But um, yeah, that's, you know, how we, how, how we started. And I was already like mucking around with a few things, like, <clears throat> excuse me, some bluesy stuff. And, um, yeah, and that's just how it happened. And we were all on the same page and we all loved it. And uh, 
Ah, the band is class, buddy. Absolute class. Yeah, well, I mean, it's obviously I've played with probably about I did count one time, maybe like th 12, 13 different lineups actually over the years um, in total. Um, the lineup I've got now um, is is great for moving forward. I'll just see on the chat. John Perrin's just come on. <laughs> you right, John. Great times. <laughs> yeah, he's a good lad. He's a good lad. There he is. How yeah. did the, um, the supersonic blues come about then? How did yeah. how how did because um, you said you got signed? Did you get signed as in Chris Barras? Did, you know your band get signed and then it was just me. So I'm just, signed as like a solo song, artist. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so obviously supersonic blues machine are on the same record label. Um, they had a big European tour um, booked and um they were playing at the shepherd's bush empire hmm. and we got put forward to be their support band oh, right. um and we didn't know at the time that their front man lance lopez had left the band the, he had some problems he had issues with uh substances and and other stuff there was just stuff going on. it just wasn't working out and he had his he had his solo career that was just starting to take off and he was doing really well um so he was chose to go down that route he left the band no one knew like word hadn't got out they had a couple of guys um it was between two people who they were going to have and then they saw some videos of me to choose the support band um and then once the word got around um that uh lance had left my label would then like well look at this guy and they watched the videos and uh yeah I got off the job. We had a phone call. I went out to LA um, for, it was about a week and um, jammed, got to meet Billy. I landed in um, LA and Fab, who runs the band, he's like the producer and the bass player and everything. He runs the whole thing. He works so fucking hard. It's a hard band to organize when you've got like big yeah. celebs involved, you know, like, people of that kind of level um like billy gibbons level it's, it's it's a different world it's not how we we deal with things billy himself is like amazing and you know but it's just like the way things have to be done and dealt with when you're dealing with a superstar it's yeah. very different you know you don't just ring up billy and go hey bill can you do this gig and he, you know he doesn't know you know <laughs> he's got a big old fucking team that you know sort stuff out anyway so um he picks me up and uh he says, oh, Billy's asked if, if you want to come by his house. <laughs> He's like, but it's, if you're too tired from the journey, it's fine. I'm like, obviously, I was fucking knackered. I just got off a, you know, 11-hour flight or whatever, 12-hour flight or whatever it was. Um, and I was like, yeah, yeah, no, that would be right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we go up to, um, he lives like just on like, like Beverly Hills, like West Hollywood. Like, there's like one road that divides them. He lives up there. And we went up to his house and then we went out to a Mexican restaurant. We were uh, doing tequila shots and uh, we had a good chat. And yeah, it was cool. It was, it was amazing. It was, it was a real like, I mean, I look back now, it all seems like it's a fucking uh, dream, to be honest. Like, yeah. just insane. Some of the gigs, we headline like, I say we, it's not, you know, but um, headline like festivals, like 20,000 people, and like we're headlining it, you know, like it's just, it's mad. It's because of 
you know what the band have done and, and what Billy's done and something to me. I'm just stepping in, but um, it's yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. Kenny, Kenny's still drumming as well. Yeah, Kenny, Kenny's amazing. We we have such a laugh. He's my uh, he's like my main tour buddy. We always like dip off and get a quick beer, and uh, he's great. I love I love Kenny. Well, we watched that um, documentary on Netflix, that hired gun. So that's yeah. the first time I kind of seen that. And then I just checked him out on like the Tama. The, he did a few interviews on there and it's just like, fuck, his career is phenomenal. And it's just his ability and the ability to step in with anybody as well. You know what I mean? The the, the level of musicianship yeah. is up, it's up there. Do like, you know what, what it is with him is, I mean, you, you were saying about like my focus and dedication and stuff like that. I mean, he's on another level. Like he is insane. I mean, he's like 64, yes. 65 years old. Yeah. yeah. He was fucking fitter than me. Like he is in such good shape, like yeah. insane. Like he has, he has like a stretch routine. He does like twice a day and like body weight exercise and super fit and just so like, uh, he's amazing. And um, the planning and preparation that he puts into like learning stuff. Like, I was in LA in January um, and he was uh, the studio we were recording in because uh, I was doing the new Supersonic album. And he's got his own studio there and Fab has got his own studio like next door to each other. And he was playing on, because we've gone out to the NAM festival and that, and he was playing on the Gibson night and they had like Slash, Lizzie Hale, um, Don Felder, I want to say from the Eagles. There, like, all these people, and he had to learn this whole set. And um, I could hear him every day practicing this set, just like nonstop. You know, like he could play it like perfectly, but he has to get it like perfect, perfect. Yeah, because he's playing drums for Slash, never rehearsing with Slash. Do you know what I mean? They're just yeah. turning up, and he's got to play it perfectly. And I remember he came, he came in, he was like, oh, he goes. He goes, oh, I'm doing this song by this girl. He says, it's, it's really fucking catchy. He goes, have you ever heard of um, Lizzie, Lizzie, uh, I was like, what, Lizzie Hale? He's like, yeah, have you heard of her? I was like, yeah, Hailstorm. He goes, oh, she's got some brilliant songs. I was like, I was like what are you doing? Like, I miss the misery. He's like, yeah, that's it. Like, it just, it's just so funny. He's like, oh, have you heard of this girl? I'm drumming. <laughs> but, you know, it's not like through his ignorance. He's the busiest session drummer in the world. He's always on toys everywhere. You don't get to keep up on every new band and every style coming through. But it was just so funny. He's like, oh, I'm drumming for this girl. Yeah, she's really, really good. <laughs> it's Lizzie Hale. Yeah. That's incredible. I've been, um, like I said, zoning in on him a lot through lockdown. And um, like you said about the stretching and stuff, he was saying it's not just about the drums, man. It's about how you're looking after your body. So that that resonated then. And obviously um, the prep before a gig, the prep after a gig, he was just like, keep yourself in, in check, keep yourself focused, keep yourself fit. So exactly what you just said then, he was saying, um, and he said, I'm not bad for 60. I think, yeah, he said 64, I think. I think he said 64. But when he said 64, I was like, fuck. He's it, Yeah fuck <laughs> but he plays with like such intensity like yeah. you just I, see, I mean he's fucking loud he is loud um but he just plays with oh just such power and such energy um yeah he's amazing he's absolutely amazing Inspiring. what a group to be jamming with man that's 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 incredible like you know yeah 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 he's really really good uh, i'm very <laughs> lucky yeah. Can you get us on with that or what? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, incredible. 
<laughs> no, thank you, bud. I mean, you must be super proud. Like, um, that's, that's incredible. Right, thank that's you. Incredible. Mm. Right, bud, we could literally talk to you all night if we could, but um, <laughs> we've got to get the rest of the crows on it and get on with the rest of this crowcast. But, but, bud, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a real insight. Honestly, and, yeah. Um, hopefully, we'll catch up with you soon when this madness stops and have a bang. Yeah. And I haven't actually got to see you guys yet. I always miss you. We're always on like the same festivals, but like different days or different yeah. time. I've got to, like yeah, shoot yeah, off. Yeah. But I haven't actually seen you guys live in person yet. Um, so yeah, laugh. hopefully. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 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 That's brilliant, man. But thank you, Chris. Nice one. Thank Thanks you very for much for having on. me. Stay Cheers, you. guys. We'll see you soon, all right? Stay safe. Yeah, man. nice one. Take Cheers, guys. Bye. Ta man. Thanks for listening to Crowcast Podcast. Don't forget, this episode is also available to watch on our YouTube channel. For up-to-date information on everything Crows, follow us on all our socials or visit our website, thosedamncrows.com. Tidy. Ta-da!